Welcome to the Docs and Crocs podcast, where we explore the latest happenings in news, culture, and everything in between. Our team of experts and enthusiasts, me being the expert, and I'm the enthusiast, bring you fresh takes on the hottest articles, trends, and pop culture phenomena. From breaking news to the latest viral sensation, we've got you covered. So sit back, relax, and join us as we dive into the world of Docs Docs and and Crocs. Crocs. The the request was as follows. Wait, 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 wait. And we are everywhere. We are everywhere, all at once. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah, sorry, I'm I'm stepping on your court here. That's all right. That's all right. Did, it, did you see that movie? Everything, everywhere, all at once. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Did you see that? Was it a good movie? No, I didn't see it. I was just wondering because oh. you mentioned it. Yeah, if you're gonna bring it up, like it just came up. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyways, so today <laughs> we have a very special guest. <laughs> this is my friend, medical student, extraordinaire, very tall, very smart, very tall, very good looking. Paul Hunt, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Thank you for that very kind introduction, John. You know, he was—he's so tall that we had to—I um, had to get like a like a door frame stretcher before we could even let him in. Yes. How does a door frame stretcher work? You floor to the ceiling and you just turn it. It's very similar to a breastplate stretcher. <laughs> a breastplate stretcher? A, a breastplate stretcher. How do you... Sh- <laughs> <laughs> See, now I need to know if that's so a real I'm thing. From, I'm from Maryland. Um, the official sport of Maryland is jousting. Oh, really? So I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, that, no. That, that, I'm, like, that's no joke. The official sport of Maryland is jousting. Okay. And so you need to wear full armor when you are jousting. Of course. And sometimes, you know, armor suits are very expensive, so you have to, you know, purchase one. They generally have to be custom fit to your body. They're Got handmade it. by an armorer who are much rarer than they used to be. So if you, uh, as many of us do, if you gain girth over life, your breastplate will no longer fit. And so yep. the breastplate stretcher is an item that you place the breastplate into, and it stretches the breastplate to encompass your new girth. Mm. Okay. Mm. To encompass your new, new girth. girth. That's my new favorite <laughs> phrase. See, you know, as a medical guy, so so you're you're you're... A percentage of doctor currently. Uh, yes. Uh, Just I, so everybody I knows. I call myself half a doctor because I uh, I did go to medical school once before and I completed fifty percent of the degree. And now you're going again. Yeah. So I'm not really clear as to where that leaves me. Am I half a doctor or am I zero percent a doctor? Got it. So as fifty percent of a doctor, I thought maybe a breastplate stretcher was like a medical instrument that you insert into somebody's chest <laughs> to like <laughs> you know crack open their rib cage so you can reach their heart or something. Uh, there might be some situations where that would be <laughs> called for, but no, this uh, refers to a piece of armor equipment. Got, Got it. it. By the way, that, it's not a real thing. Are you serious? No, it's not a real God thing. God dang it. <laughs> so have you ever seen Game of Thrones? <laughs> he had such a story. He had a whole thing. Is is jousting the official sport of Maryland? Yes, that, that part is true. Oh, okay. 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 All right. Um, and I am from Maryland. I don't know what to believe. True. But no, um, in Game of Thrones, there's uh, the, the king, he's too fat for his armor, so he tells the squire to go grab the breastplate stretcher, oh, and I the see. squire runs off in terror. And then the king and his best friend start laughing their asses off. <laughs> so they were hazing? <laughs> yes, yes. They were new, new, new hire hazing him in Game of Thrones? Uh, yes. I used to work at a sunglass hut. And when if you work at the sunglass hut in the mall, mm. new hires will be told to go get a wall stretcher on the first day. That's like the thing. Like, <laughs> go grab the wall stretcher. If you can't find uh, it, ask security. Oh, no. And so you see guys running around. <laughs> hey, man. Uh, just trying to make a good first impression. Uh, like, uh, like snipe hunting. What is... Uh, Wait, know, well, hold on. Snipe hunting just sounds like 
You having a hunt with us? Well, sniper? snipes are a, a fictitious type of bird that oh. you send people to go hunt. You tell them like they're down over in this area and they can't find them. Mm. I see. So speaking of good first impressions, um, this is the cocktail cast. Yes. Um, and so what we're going to do, we, we all enjoy a good drink. Of course. Um, and, as do I. And Mr. Hunt here, as well as being 50% a doctor, is somewhat of a mixologist. That's how Jonathan put it. Um, I don't know. That's uh, The M word is a little much to apply to me. <laughs> hey, don't, make it, don't make it weird. It's not like I said. <laughs> so we all enjoy a good drink. Yes. And so we're going to, um, we're going to drink... Over the course of this podcast. Yes. And just see how how civil mm. maybe civil's not the word. How um how proper yes. we keep it over yes. the course of Uniform. the podcast. It's gonna get increasingly more interesting. Yes, of course. Over the course and then we have like we have a special uh we have a, another special guest. Mm. Uh, <laughs> if anybody dares, oh, our, our through, friend Jack from the Yukon. Yeah, Jack from the Yukon. Only the strong survive. Is he related to my friend Mr. Daniels? I think it's like that raggedy cousin that doesn't like that has like the weird chest hair that gets caught in his buttons in yeah. the front of his shirt. The one that you see at like all the family gatherings, and you don't know whether you want to say hi or like call the police on. Yeah, he kind of looks like he smells like something you've never witnessed before. Yeah, yeah. He looks like he smells bad. Right. Yeah. So. You know, if you're feeling brave at any point here. So really quick, really quick, let's talk about what we have on the table before we move into of any course. important information. Yes. Let's talk about what we have on the table. I'm going to let you start because you brought a bottle of something. What did you bring? Yes. And what are you making for us today? So I am making Brazilian lemonade mm. with silver cachaça. Cachaça. Go on. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> yes. Great. Do you want to go into more of this, what this is? Uh, sure. So cachaça... Is a uh, I learned about this from, oh gosh, I can't remember his name. I think it was Cincinnato. So cachaça is basically a sugar-based spirit. So it's very similar to rum. In fact, I don't know why they don't just call it rum. Maybe they just had their own special word for it, and no one wants to. Did you give say I, wh what you learned from cachaça? Uh, Cincinnato. Cincinnato. Who the hell is that? Cincinnato was a guy who. Uh, um, followed me on Facebook about 10 years ago. Okay. I just <laughs> love how I'm going to freaking do that. Can I get some foreign friends so I can drop their first name in public settings to make me sound like I know really I cool mean, people? I haven't spoken <laughs> I, I haven't spoken with him in years, but he just, like, he added me as a friend. We started messaging, and we talked about stuff like cachaça and uh, caipirinha, I think, is the name of the drink that yeah. they drink. I just love that you weren't like, this guy named Cincinnata. You were yeah. like, so... I think Cincinnati showed me. Like, as if we all know who that is. Like, you made it sound like an actor. Like, yeah, yeah. this drink that Kanye showed me once. Like, oh, obviously everybody here knows who Kanye is. Sorry, who? <laughs> yeah, I got oh, you meant face. ye. Oh, it's it's ye. It's spelled ye. It, it's spelled ye, but he I don't think he has any Asian in him, so it's ye. Oh um, I, th I thought I explicitly requested before the podcast that... <laughs> We refrain from. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that this was a wholesome Christian podcast. Um, <laughs> I think I think wholesome and Christian are two different things. I think those are two different things, and um, yeah, we're definitely not there. This is a podcast that has Christians on it. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, it's like the difference between a Christian between a musician who's a Christian and a Christian musician. Yes. Yes. A oh, very important absolutely. distinction. Absolutely. So well, like Mel Gibson. So Mel Gibson is a is a Christian. Uh, yeah, and yeah. And he's a filmmaker. He's a very devout um uh 
traditional uh, user of the Latin rite. Uh, but he, and he's also a filmmaker, but right. he's not a Christian filmmaker. Like right. say, uh, what's the guy who was in the Left Behind movies? Not Nicolas Cage, not that one. Oh, I know what you're. Ta- I know the guy you're talking about. He's in like every. Yeah, he was in that '90s uh, TV show as a kid. What was it? I. I know that I can see his face. Kirk Cameron. That's yes. who it is. Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah, very yeah. embarrassed. I can't remember his name. But anyway, uh, I don't want to forget about this Novo yeah. Fogo because I have Novo Fogo FOMO. Wow. Did you, pra- you practice that ahead of time, didn't you? You know, uh, yeah, I did practice that outside uh, before we started the podcast, okay. but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to work it in. <laughs> yeah. John was like, no, you got to stop saying awesome stuff. Save it for the podcast. And then we have whole Whoa, lines. that's creamy. Don't make it weird. <laughs> Don't make it weird. <laughs> is it's, cre- <laughs> it's creamy. I looked over and there's just a... I, when I looked at it initially, I thought it was just like blended limes. And now it is... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's blended limes. Very creamy. So which side of the jigger do I use? Uh, this one. This is a two-ounce pour. So uh, is that going to be the catchphrase of the podcast? Don't make it weird? <laughs> Don't make it no, weird. No, 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 no. That's, that's so overused. Yeah. We're We're... Clever. I would like to make it weird is kind of the oh please make like it weird. Austin, like Austin, like keep Austin so weird. So this is a mix of limes, water, and sweetened condensed milk blended together and so that we can mix with our I call it cachaca. Is it cachaca? No, that's a soft C. Tachala? Tachala. <laughs> Are we on Black Panther now? <laughs> oh hey, speaking of Black uh, rest Panther. Rest in peace. Or just speak yeah, rest in peace. Rest man. in peace. Or as we say in my church, Vichnaya Pamyat. Um speaking of just pop culture things. We've got the new. We just got the new uh, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Oh, and so we've got the we've got the poster up there. We got the pre-order. Oh, very so nice. Pre-order came with the little My little poster. brother just told me he stayed up till four a.m. playing that game. And did you guys see the meme that was like? Because it came out on the twelfth, right? I think on the twelfth it was like mysterious right illness causes millions to stay home from work all of a sudden. <laughs> and it's just the TV, and it's just Tears of the Kingdom on the on the TV. All right, so this is the symptoms drink for include s- lacrimation. <laughs> That's the medical word that means uh, tears. Okay, thank you, because I was just going to laugh at it and pretend like I knew what you meant. Symptoms include throwing controllers across the room. So this is the drink we're starting with. This is Brazilian lemonade. Yes. It looks inc- it looks incredible. <laughs> it's going to be great. It looks like something. Do you, do you notice the glass I'm using? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the glass I got you for your birthday. Yeah, this is the special glass that where I when I want to drink and have a cigar at the same time, I can do both. Ah, you are a fellow cigar aficionado. Absolutely. Por que no los dos? My humidor is empty right now. But um, I need a spoon to mix these. You know, you know I man. I saw, you should see uh, his bro- John's brother's humidor. Very, very impressive. Which brother? Ben? Uh, yes, Ben. Okay, we got to have him on then. We got to have him on and just talk cigars. So you're a, you're a cigar guy? I am a cigar guy. I don't say that I, I know, uh, I don't know a whole lot. But I definitely do smoke the occasional celebratory cigar no more than once a month. Okay, that's for insurance purposes. Got it. Right. Um, I was told by my insurance agent that that is the level of cigar smoking which is considered equivalent to a non-smoker. Oh, okay. So I'm not lying on my stuff. That's good. I didn't yes. know that there was a qualification. I usually just say, ah. Yeah. So I don't think I so. I was told that I could write in my Knights Columbus Insurance application. I smoke the occasional celebratory cigar no more than once a month, which is about how often I hit it up. Is that the uh, is that the wording? Can we bring your brother back in as a lawyer to see if that's the official wording? Oh, you know, I actually have a, a great phrase. This is what you know. Since I uh, I did previously attend medical school, and once people find out, oh, you've been accepted to medical school, suddenly they ask you all sorts of questions. It's like, guys, I haven't even started school, and you're asking me questions. Like, I'm going to school to learn that. Um, how do you expect me to know? 
But anyway, what I always tell people is this interaction doesn't constitute medical advice and no patient-physician relationship is formed by it. Any medical questions that you have should be addressed with your physician. If you're currently experiencing a medical emergency, please call 911. We're going to put that... I'm going to put that at the end of the... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to put that at the end of the podcast, like as... You know those commercials? And then it's like, you should start taking Shalastafa if you're experiencing anal itching for more than six hours. And then at the end, it's like, symptoms may include death, hallucinations, killing your family. And you're like, oh my gosh, I think I'll just scratch my butt. <laughs> so we're going to put your disclaimer at the, end of the, at the end of the podcast. All right, mixed. I just want to try this. Sorry my glass is so unstirrable. This is the most, it's really meant for whiskey and rum. It's meant for straight stuff and nothing else. Do you use those large ice cubes with it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've oh, got yeah. A I big, like those. I but see for this glass, also though, I have to taste. chop them in half because of the indent in the glass. Mm. Oh, it's the, oh, I see. Ben has one of these. It's the cigar. Gl- yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's yeah. sold by a company called Corksicle. All right, here we go. Brazilian Ladies lemonade. First drink of the cast. <laughs> that probably sounded like ass. That's very nice. Oh my. That's magical. Those Brazilians know what they're doing. They like to party. They like to party. But Paul, we are at the most important part of the podcast, the question that determines the course of the rest of this hour. And as 50% a doctor, I need you to answer this correctly. Like professionally. Yeah. Of course, no patient-doctor relationship is formed. <laughs> this is not advice. This is not advice. Yes, this is not medical advice. But what are your shoe nouns? My shoe nouns? Yeah, so I'm Docs. I'm Crocs. What are you? Aldo. Aldo? Aldo. Okay. I'm wearing Aldos. Feet Finder, hello. So as you can see, I have these Free. fun socks, and these are Aldo loafers. Ooh, okay, very good. Little, little loafer is that guy. like your go-to, though? Like, is that how you identify as a person? You know, I feel like these loafers actually do express my personality in a way, so... I mean, yeah. yeah, looking at them and hearing your voice, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like they and go I together. Thought, so ethnicity is very important to me. So I don't know if you knew this. John and I are the same ethnicity. We're both Italian. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, wait. I, I forgot that you were mixed race. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Where is this going? Uh, so what ethnicity I thought, I thought is we that? I'm away from ethics slurs. Yeah, what <laughs> <are> <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I won't drop the D word or the W word. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, So actually, so uh, what ethnicity was George Washington? I, well, I don't know. He's a white guy, wasn't he? Yeah, so it's, it's the same ethnicity as me and European. John. No, European's not an ethnicity. That's an overarching category. So just white. Continent. Well, I mean, what do you mean by white? Germans are white. Well, then I don't know the answer to the question. <laughs> <laughs> the, answer is, the answer is Anglo-Saxon. Anglo-Saxon. And that's so, you guys? Yeah, yeah. So uh, yes. that's three quarters of his ancestry. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, so I'm the minority on this couch. Yes. Wow. Yeah, what is your ethnic background? Damascene. Damascene? Yeah. Like, really? Yeah. I used to actually uh, serve <laughs> the altar at a, a Syriac church where we did, okay. the, um, we did the entire liturgy in Aramaic. So my, my like, great ancestors came over from Damascus. My, like, in my family's name, there's a lot of, um, like, Davids uh-huh. and Lukes. And, mm-hmm. But it was... You so know, are you, are you, do you identify as Aramean or Syriac or Assyrian? Syrian, yeah. Syrian, oh, very nice. Like very Syrian nice. and Italian. Okay, wow, yeah. One of my very best friends is a Syrian. So it was my, like, Daoud al-Aid was, like, mm-hmm. my great, great, great grandfather's name. But, but then down the line, it became David Aid. Like, when they came over and okay, they started nice. registering them, Daoud became David and al-Aid became Aid. 
Are you familiar with the Supreme Court case Dow v. United States? I believe it was no. 1912. That is the, that is the uh, American court case which legally ruled that Syrians are white. Wh- <laughs> wow. Before 1965, <laughs> immigration to the United States was restricted to free white persons of good character. And uh, I see. there wow. were boundary cases where they were wondering what exactly counted as white. Uh, and so beginning in 1890, we started to get more immigration from North Africa, uh, Western Asia, the Middle East. And so Mr. Dow was a Syrian immigrant who had come uh, from Syria, from the then Ottoman Empire. And the, they didn't want to grant him citizenship because someone was saying that he wasn't white. So he actually argued in the courts, and he successfully won in the courts, and the courts ruled that Syrians are white. And that's how it all started, guys. Yeah, so and thanks as, for as joining us for our weekly Supreme Court case. <laughs> <laughs> and now you can go to court and argue that you are a puppy dog. So, you know, it, that was the gateway drug. <laughs> <laughs> that's how we are where we are now. That's how it That was it where it all started. started. But to get back to the original point, John course, and I are yes, both yeah. wasps. Although, wasps? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, what? Yeah, so this is, a, this is a term. This is a real term. Okay. Um, it means white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Oh. And it refers to the founding ethnic group of the United States, like George Washington, oh. and the Puritans, like the Pilgrims. So you guys are like whitey, whitey, white. Well, yes, that's correct. Yeah. Although, um, I have to say, I am part German as well, so I'm not entirely... I was going to say, yeah, you kind of look like... <laughs> I knew finish exactly the, where finish your the head sentence. was going. Finish the sentence, I was like, please. Ryan, please stop. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, I get Thor. Um, okay, let's yeah, do that. Yeah. <laughs> that. That seems more polite. I used to have long hair. I had uh, long hair down on my shoulders until a few months ago. Thor also oh. got people to follow him. I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, Paul, what are your top five favorite movies? Top five favorite uh, off movies. Off the cuff, in no oh. general order. Yeah, I don't think You I know, I loved Star Wars as a kid. Let's go. Yeah, yeah Star right Wars 1977 is a really amazing film. Which one? 1977. The original. The original Star Wars. Got it. Yeah, like, see how that post seal, the first poster, doesn't have... A New Hope on there? Right. Got it. It's just Star Wars. I see. Yeah. Okay, so we got Star Wars. So that's number one. Um, you know, this is, a, this is a very niche film. It's one of my favorites. It's called The World's Greatest Lover. Okay. It was written, uh, produced by, directed by, and stars Gene Wilder. Really? Yeah. How have I never heard of this? Uh, when did it, it come out? Oh, gosh, in the 70s. Okay. Yeah, um, Danny DeVito is in it. How old are you? Really? Uh, I'm 34 years old. Oh, okay. Yeah. Still, though. Well, 34. I'm 29. So you were born in, what, 89? Uh, 88. 88. Okay. And you were falling in love with 70s films. You know, Did I you have like a family member that was like really old school film? Uh, no. Um, so my older sister, Sarah, actually really enjoyed uh, kind of uh, older films. And we had cable. We'd watch TCM, Turner Classic Movies. And so I actually first saw that movie in uh, undergrad, my senior year of undergrad. It was Christmas break and it was playing, I believe, on Turner Classic Movies. Okay. And I ended up seeing that movie and I just was really entranced by it. Got it. It's a very, very charming movie. Speaking of your older sister, how many siblings do you have? I'm going to put that on my list. Oh, address. this is a, a great question. I have, um, I'm in a unique situation. I'm not, I don't think I've ever met anyone like this. I have older brothers, older sisters, younger brothers, and younger sisters. So that requires at least uh, as many as there are of us, nine, and you have to be in the middle, and then you have to have an even distribution of siblings. So because there's five boys and four girls in my family. So yeah, there's a total of nine of us. Yeah. So how do you feel like that dynamic has contributed to your personality as well as interests, likes, dislikes, disposition? So wait, wait, wait. Was the, was the thing that you are like the middlest of middle child? Yes, I'm very mid. You're, you're super mid. 
He's max mid. Okay. And that's you're like, I've never met anybody like that. I wasn't catching on at first. He was like, I've never met another person like this. I have older siblings and younger siblings. <laughs> Mic drop. I was like, whoa. Whoa, bro. <laughs> and they are all full-blood siblings. Um, so I imagine that any families that have a large number, say the Duggars, there probably are several in the center that have that situation as me because right. there's like 17 or 18 of them. Jeez. Um, but yes, I think that the way it's impacted me is that I'm very people-oriented. I'm very focused on relationships. And I, uh, I very, very much enjoy... Um, I don't know, like the, the the close friendships that I have with my siblings, and I extend that to to other people. And I'm used to uh, I'm I'm used to being in a place of inferiority, like in terms of rank. Mm-hmm. Like older siblings rank above you. When yeah. the parents leave the house, they get left in charge of you. So I'm used to being subordinate to someone else in an appropriate way. And then I also had younger siblings that I was, you know, I was their superior. I was they were subordinate to me. You know, right. I was left in charge of them, and I had to. I had I got to experience both kind of a mentor and a mentee role from siblings. I see. Whereas many people, if they you know typical family size in America around two kids, you might only get to experience the mentee role as the younger sibling or the mentor role as the older sibling. Right. You don't get to experience both, and you don't get to experience that relationship with different people. Yeah. So that's from the second movie. So what do we got for number three? <laughs> movie number three. Hey. Movie number three. <laughs> Let's see what's behind that. Curtain. I really loved the movie The North Man that came out last summer. That was a really good one. I saw that movie three times in theaters. The North Man. Yeah. Okay, I got to look that up real quick because I'm on, I'm on a Viking trip right now. I don't know if you know this, but Jonathan and I have this this thing going. I don't. It's not a bet. It's, it's just not a an bet. agreement. It's a, it's a deal. He, would, he was talking to me about anime for like an ungodly amount of time. Like every time I'd see him, he'd be like, so Shishinaki and Zizakali <laughs> are, and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about already. And then I would try to talk. I tried to talk him into watching Vikings, and he'd be like, "Nah, man, I don't think I'm gonna watch that." But he's talking to me about. So we made this deal. I'm like, "You gotta watch Vikings. I'll start watching Attack on Titan." Um, so is uh, is being a weeb genetic? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So story on that. I'm sorry. Wait, I, swear, no, I promise I wouldn't drop the W no, word. It's <laughs> all right. It's all right. The weeb. There's no. There's no slurs. slurs we talked about. Slurs. There we go. Um, the so growing up in Virginia, I remember Naruto would come on right as we were about to go to bed, and we had to convince our mom in order for us to stay up just a little bit so that we could see the new Naruto episode like every week. That because was she didn't want you guys to grow up to be weebs. Exactly. Yeah. So we would take our shower, and then we would go into Daniel's bedroom. He had like his own bedroom with his own TV in his room. Where oh, ben what a and privilege I, being the oldest sibling. Oh, my gosh. It was ridiculous. Cameron and Dustin were moved out at this point. At this point, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we would sit in Daniel's bedroom, and we would just weeb it up with Naruto. And then as I got, I think middle school, I, I started to branch off into my own weebiness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Go on, go on. <laughs> Don't mind me. Don't mind me. I have a confession to make at, at the end of your statement. Just okay. All right, all right. And um, like in middle school, I started watching Full Metal Alchemist um, Brotherhood, which I think is a fantastic like gateway drug into anime. I think you get a lot of the things you like about anime in that show, and there's a lot of good character development. The songs, the fight scenes are really cool, blah de blah blah And then as I got into high school, there was kind of bits and pieces um, where I would watch this, a little bit of that. But now is like where I fully embrace my weeb. Mm-hmm. And so now I can talk to... Ben pretty much has watched all the shows that I'm watching currently. So I think Ben has really explored his weebiness. Mm-hmm. And then, I, would, I would agree with that, yeah, being yeah, good yeah. friends with him. And then Daniel is married and has a kid. And so 
that those responsibilities kind of get take priority over. They we, impact his ability. To how be many weak. times do you think we can throw the W word around before we get demonetized? <laughs> 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 all the all the the furries and they're gonna stop listening and all the. So wait, so the Northman. So I huge Viking trip. So somebody told me I need to watch that after I'm finished with Vikings. Yes, yeah, very very good. And then. Uh, so I like I own like a, a berserker axe like that's how oh, into very it. Nice. That's so cool. we made the deal. So here's what happened. So my wife and I are watching Attack on Titan. Yes. All day today. You're watching it all day today. No, no, no. Listen. No, no, oh, okay. no. No, no, no. Sorry, We're recording sorry, sorry. this on Mother's Day. Yes. Um, don't worry. My wife gave me permission. Uh, so we I went like I'm making like we took the camera out. I'm like you know filming her and and our baby and but the whole day whatever we're doing. We're walking around going. Oh my God! It's com- it's like drilled into my yes. spinal column. Isn't it wonderful? <clears throat> but I'm I'm disappointed because you've still only, only watched how many episodes of Vikings? Did you watch any last night? I swear. <laughs> Are you still on episode two? I, I finished episode two. And we're on like episode what twelve? Okay, um, listen, wait, 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 wait. Attack wait, wait, on Titan. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Episodes of Vikings are forty-five minutes long. It doesn't and matter. Episodes of Attack on it Titan are twenty-five minutes matter. long. Even if it does, even if it does matter. So it's episode two of Attack on Titan. So that is like what an hour and a half versus episode twelve, which would be like what five and a half hours. Well, I'm on episode two of Vikings, so I'm an hour and forty minutes in, and, and I'm on like episode twelve. So he's on, so he's five and a half hours in. Yeah, four. Okay, hours so that means that you're about what, like four hours behind. Yeah. I'm so let's go. Okay, okay. But one day this week, I get a text from Ryan that says I'm a weeb now, and I felt yeah. so accomplished in my life. I felt like I had peaked. But anyways, movie number four. Oh wow! Number yep. four. This mm. is going to be hard. Lord of the Rings. That was, I mean, that, let's go. Yeah. All three of them. All three of them. All yeah. of them. All right. I mean, okay. In terms of pacing and like the way it brought me in, the Fellowship of the Ring. But yep. honestly, they could have just played all three of them in a row. When I was like, gosh, how old was I when that came out? I was like fourteen or something. No, no, no. I was thirteen. When you still have the stamina to sit through it. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. when you haven't seen enough other content to be like, oh, it's a movie and stuff happens <laughs> and, and you're bored with it. You're like you, you, that brain is still fresh, waiting to be imprinted on. Mm. No, if they had just played mm. like a, if they had just been like a twelve-hour marathon, I would have just, uh, oh, I would have stayed the whole way. Guaranteed. Um, I remember thinking at the end of the first, uh, the first half, so like an hour and a half in, I was like, wow, that's a pretty good movie. You know, can't wait to see the sequel. And then they like set off from Rivendale, and they go like all the way across the the Misty Mountains. You know, to Moria. Mm-hmm. Gandalf dies, and they end up at. Uh, Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Snape kills Dumbledore. Yeah, right? Um, Wait, really? <laughs> All right, go on. Oh, yeah, so they end up at Emun Meal where uh, the fellowship breaks, and then I'm like, what? How is this movie over? It's over already? You know, it's because I've been sitting in the theater for like three and a half hours yeah, at this point, including right. trailers and so forth, and I was just like, if they'd put t- two towers on right after that, I would have stayed Return of the King oh, like yeah. the whole night. It's, oh, yeah. it's a very masterful trilogy. They do. It's, uh, they do. So they just let Jackson do whatever the heck he wanted with the Hobbit. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Wait. So speaking of, um, we were talking about like being young and talking about like just the amount of information like your brain. You said a specific phrase. Imprint. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like things like imprinted on your mind. And so this is something that I've been thinking about this week. I haven't talked to anybody about it. 
Uh, so this is the first time you're going to hear yeah, about yeah, this, yeah. too. Yeah, fresh, fresh out of Ryan's mind. <clears throat> but here's what I've been thinking about. I've been Here thinking about, and I've thought about this before, but it hit my brain in a new way. And I would love to hear a 50% doctor's take on the idea. So people used to be like experts on things because they would go and do the research. You had like a certain amount of access to information. Mm -hmm. um, and so you could be certain amounts of proficient at certain things at any given time. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's a very broad statement. But as the internet has expanded and we have access to more and more stuff at increasingly high rates of speed, like information travel so fast, you have access to almost anything at any given moment. Right. On top of that, you have AI now, which can search, what, the entirety of the internet in a millisecond um, and, and give you, like, nuggets to take it all in. And I'm getting what to this... What kind of nuggets are we talking? We're we talking, like... Wendy's nuggets that you know like the, are you not know, what they used to be. Are we talking like Chick Fil A that aren't like they're like you know whole pieces of chicken nuggets? Mm, I mean, you you have to kind of work with AI to make it work for you. So it kind of starts off as like the spicy nuggets when Wendy's did the spicy nuggets, and you're like, mm -hmm. yeah, I guess they're spicy. They're okay. Mm -hmm. And then as you kind of refine it, I think it I think it gets to like Chick Fil A tier. Yeah, Chick Fil A tier. Mm. So, but I was thinking about this the other day. I think that we are getting to the point slowly. We're, uh, quickly now. We're getting to the point fairly quickly that soon everyone is going to know everything and anything about anything at any time always. And then I'm like, what happens at that point? What happens when we just know, like, no one is an expert on anything. Everybody just has all of the same information. I know we're not there at this very moment. I know that there's arguments to be made for those who've actually spent their lives studying specific things mm -hmm. but i feel like we're getting to a point where even experts aren't don't even have the same level as, of expertise as experts maybe 50 years ago mm. and novices have an increasingly high like they have so much information so fast and i feel like we're going to get to a point where everybody just knows everything about everything all the time and then what do we do i I don't think it's actually going to get to the point where we actually know everything. So one thing that I like to talk about with regards to social media and all the different ways of connecting we have. So I, I once dated an Australian girl. We met here in America, and then she went back to Australia, and so we had kind of a long-distance relationship for about six months. And we used this app called Viber, which I think is, I don't even know if it's still around, but I remember thinking, this was when smartphones were still relatively new, and I was thinking how amazing it was that I could just, like, anytime I wanted, like, just pull out my phone, I can be like in Walmart, up on top of the mountain, just pull up my phone and like call my girlfriend who's like, you know, 12,000 miles away, mm -hmm. which is just absolutely nuts. I think it's only 8,000 miles, but still, you know, it's just nuts. Can you imagine doing that? And so we have the ability to contact so many people. You pull out a dating app like Tinder and, you know, this is, you know there's like 3,000 singles in your area or whatever. And of course, you can swipe all day. You make a few matches. You try to ask someone on a date and, uh, you know, you, you know, they all flake out because People only use Tinder just for uh, affirmation. You know, they want to feel better about themselves. Um, you know, oh, I got like 10 matches today. I must, I'm still hot. I can go about my day and feel good about myself. Today on the podcast, we have a Tinder expert on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> Eek, I just pushed the table. So um, what it's I think over. we That's have it. now is we have more ways of, to connect than ever before, mm -hmm. but we have fewer actual connection, connection than ever before. Yeah. So the average American used to have seven friends. So like, let's say... I was going through like, let's say I was married 
and my wife and I are fighting really bad, and I'm worried we're going to get divorced. Who, how many people can I say that I'm going to go to, and I can actually say, hey, I need your advice about this situation. For Americans, the average used to be seven. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm very blessed because I have eight brothers and sisters that I'm very close to, and I have my parents. So that automatically gives me like ten people that I'm already really tight with. Yeah. Um, so I'm definitely on the higher end of that. And then I have, you know, thanks to like my friendship communities, my, my church community especially, I have a lot of friends that I can like take stuff like that to. But the average now is down to two or three people for the average mm -hmm. American. And there are, there's a growing number of Americans for whom that number is zero. And it's like, well, how can that happen in this age of, of access to other human beings? We have automobiles. You know, most people own an automobile. You can hop in the car and go drive anywhere, see any person. Yeah. You know, you can make a phone call. Long distance is so cheap. You can go on, on the internet, on Facebook. You can have this digital record of all the people you met in high school and undergrad. And you can send them a Facebook message. And so you're saying with all these different connections, now people have less connection? So I think it's paradoxical. The, the, when you add, continually add in more of, the, more of the cheap connections, then the value of each individual connection goes down and you care about it less. And I think the same thing is going to happen with information, which is that once all information is very easily accessible to people, people are going to treat the information as much cheaper than it actually is, and they're not actually going to bother getting to know the information very intimately. So just talking about the friends thing for a second, I think that... Again, I think a lot of understanding comes from relationship. And so even as, like now people have to, so yeah, we do have access to people in a thousand different ways super easily. But there's less reason to connect with people. You know, before it's like if you wanted to learn a skill, it's like I'm going to find somebody who's really good at that thing and I'm going to sit with them and learn from them. And now it's like, well, I can watch 15 YouTube videos. I can sit down with ChatGPT. I can mm -hmm. ask it to create a manual for me on this thing in three seconds. You know what I mean? So there's like less reason to connect with other people. So, but, but you think that people are actually going to become so overwhelmed with information that they're not even going to care about it anymore. I think, yeah, I think that's going to happen to a very large degree. So then what? Um, I think that society is going to degrade. People are going to be unhappier and things will gradually get worse until society collapses. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, I think and that's that, it, folks. Thanks for joining us. I today. think that process will take a very long time. Then after society collapses, life will get very hard again. And people will have to learn to adapt because life is so hard. Right. And they'll develop skills and they'll become very impressive people that have gone through this crucible. And then they will build a new civilization after that. And I don't disagree with you. I don't think that what you're saying is – I'm not like, oh, my God, I don't, I don't know about that. I agree with what you're saying. I think that we're on the verge of societal collapse in the way that the, what we know to be the norm is about to be flipped upside down to a point where we have to kind of relearn how to, like, function – in our society. That's what I think. I think we're, we're on the verge of like... I, I agree with that, where society's norms are being flipped around and we're going to have to learn how to refunction. Yeah. I don't think societal collapse is going to happen for centuries. You um, think it's centuries? Centuries. So the last... I'm trying to think of the major societal collapse. I feel like maybe two years ago, you, maybe two to five years ago, I feel like you could have said centuries. But I feel like with the increased speed at which artificial intelligence is developing, I feel like even that like loss of interest in, in information is coming so fast because it's just like, well, I could just ask AI to do anything for me, tell me anything. I have no reason to seek after anything. And so I feel like it, at an exponential rate, we're going towards the collapse of things as we know them to be. So I feel like the amount of time is shortening every day that we get, but like at an exponential rate. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think that our systems are very robust. Food production in the United States. The United States is still the world hegemon. 
Our food production systems are very robust. Um, this recent horrible fiasco in Russia and Ukraine has revealed Russia was was thought to be the second most dominant military in the world, yeah. and um, and they completely faltered in a very minor conflict against a much smaller, much weaker neighbor. So American hegemony is still very much real. I have um, so many. I have. I'm one of those. I'm one of the people that's like, what the hell about that? Actually. Uh, so I, I think that our systems are so robust that they, <laughs> they have a very long period. I think they can sustain a lot more corruption and degradation. You did ask for a medical perspective, and so I can tell you this. <laughs> I mean, that was kind of my way of being like, so here, as so, a smart guy. So here, here okay. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. Yeah. But it, from a medical perspective, so what the trend in medicine has been over the last 50 years to have a, a, an increase in specialization. So the days of, uh, we never use this term in America. We never say GP. People say it sometimes, but uh, we have PCPs, primary care providers. What is a GP? A GP is a general practitioner. Okay. He's just a doctor. Yeah. So he's a guy, he's got a shop, and you're like, oh, you know, I've got this pain. I feel sick. You go to the doctor. Got it. We don't call them GPs. We don't really have them. We have family practitioners. So family practitioners are basically the equivalent of a GP. They are someone that, you know, they treat everyone. They treat pediatric patients. They treat young adult patients. They treat geriatric patients. They deliver babies. They do basically what a GP used to do. Um, and then you have medical and medical specialties, you know, like surgery. or uh, And then within surgery, you have different types of surgery. Um, you have general surgery, and then you have plastic surgery. You have neurosurgery. You have orthopedic surgery. And then when you do a general surgery fellowship, you can go in, or you can go after out of, out of general surgery residency into something like cardiothoracic surgery or trauma surgery. Um, so subspecialization has become a, a big thing because you know when you know how to do one thing really well, like let's say you're a guy that you can do heart transplants really really well. Well, you know you end up doing a lot of heart transplants, and when someone says, "Hey, we need you to do a heart transplant," like, "Hey, that's the guy." Yeah, that's the guy. So. Doctors, there's a, a strong tendency towards subspecialization. So there's a lot of doctors. So my sister's a neurosurgeon, and she says, look, outside of an emergency room, wow. like outside of a hospital environment, I'm completely useless. I haven't done any of that stuff since medical school. You know, she's like, I did eight weeks of a family medicine rotation. Like what she does is she like looks at images of brains. She evaluates people for spinal issues. She does spinal fusions. She uh, goes in and she fixes cerebral hemorrhages. Like that's the sort of stuff that she does. She doesn't do stuff like, oh, like, uh, I don't know, like I have diabetes and, you know, my blood sugar is out of control. She doesn't deal with that. You know, that's a very important medical problem. Family practitioners have a lot of experience dealing with it. But uh, here's a funny story. My aunt is a, uh, a radiologist. She's the head of radiology at, I believe it's UC Irvine in California. She used to be the head of mammogramology okay. at Sloan Kettering. Uh, mammogramology is just the it's uh, breast imaging, so for like no. breast cancer. Yeah. So she was on a flight. I believe this was to Australia, which is where she's from, and they said they needed a doctor. And so my uncle nudges her and says, "Hey, they they just called for a doctor. Um, some guy apparently collapsed." And so she says, "What do they want me to do? Give him a mammogram?" <laughs> <laughs> Oof. So Oof. Somebody please. Sorry. All I do is toes. I don't. <laughs> unless it's a toe thing, I'm not. I'm not thinking. Oh, you're choking. Are you choking on a toe? <laughs> no? no, sorry, no, I'm not the, I'm not can't the guy. Help you there. Can't do it. Yeah. So the point is that medicine has subspecialized immensely. So we're not actually in a situation where all these doctors have access to this information. So then translate that to society. Um, you know, in society we have a lot of subspecialization of people that fulfill various functions within society, and if enough, and if we don't have the right people going to the right specializations, then we could see systems collapse, like. You know, uh, like our infrastructure, like dams. We built all these dams during the Great Depression era. Mm. And, you know, they provide us with electricity. They can regulate the flow of water so that we don't have these catastrophic floods. And we've had some of these these uh, dams overflow. 
And so I just wonder if uh, are we are we putting enough of the right people into those jobs? So if uh, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but I think that uh, the, they they talk about the labor shortage. Well, how can there really be a labor shortage? There's always workers. Uh, what you mean is that we don't have the workers of the specific type that we need. So and do so you, do I think, think that right now we are experiencing a situation where there are unfortunately a lot of people that can't, can't find people to do very important jobs. Just relating to what you were just talking about with doctors specifically, mm -hmm. I feel like, and I could be wrong about this, I haven't sat down and researched this at all, but I feel like, so I cleaned out, hold on, I cleaned out my glass because I want to move on to something else. I was like, I kind of want some Sailor Jerry. I was like, I had some Brazilian... No, no, no. I was just going to do some Sailor Jerry. So that's another booze. So we got to show this, too. We have another camera here. And um, so this is Sailor Jerry, by the way. This is a Kashiume, which is a Japanese plum-flavored whiskey. And then we've just got some straight-up Smirnoff. Um, but we don't have any more limes. So, And then, of course, we have Yukon Jack for when you want to forget the podcast. So oh. I'm going to have some Sailor Jerry, which is just a really good um, nice spiced rum. Here's the... Uh that's the Yukon Jack. Yeah, put it put it right into the middle of that there. They'll see it on that camera. Like just show it to like the I just did, but I can do it again. Yeah, hold yeah, hold it, hold it a little there you go. There you now go. it'll see it. You're gonna you're going for the Yukon. Yeah, I am going for the Yukon. Are you looking for clout right now? I feel like you're looking for clout. This is a clout chase. <laughs> is a I'm sorry. I am looking for clout. I forgot about the microphone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a damage to my clout, so now I have to recover it. <laughs> clout chase. Over the clout lips. chase. Clout chase. Clout. Over the lips and through the gums. Watch out, stomach. Here it comes. So that is 50 proof. Oh, no, it's 100 proof. Sorry. That is 100 proof. So that is 50% straight alcohol. How did that taste? Not good. <laughs> Let the man, uh, let him cook. It was a little rough, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> the bottle does say only the strong survive. I think you need to restart medical school after drinking that. <laughs> <laughs> you just started the over re again. Restart the restart. <laughs> hey, hey, I mean, whoa, whoa. No slur. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, uh, I have to say I do, not uh, I do not endorse or support binge drinking. No, no, no. As no, a 130-kilogram no, no. man... Uh, Two drinks in one session is not binge drinking for me. This is not bin binge. We're barely even scratching the surface, boys. I was taught boys. in medical school that for a man, anything more than two drinks in the same uh, period of drinking is considered binge drinking. Oh, wow. So this is my and second drink. Woman, and for a woman, it's more than one drink. Holy Macintosh. And so wait. we consider it to be a risk for alcohol use disorder if uh, people are consuming more than seven drinks a week as a woman and more than 14 drinks a week as a man. Wow. So you heard it. Here's, Be careful, guys. Here's to binge drinking, eh? Here's to, oh dear lord. So uh, wait, 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 wait. So we were talking about. Um, I'm gonna just call it niching down. Niching down. Yeah, niching down. So like specializing, but in uh, modern yeah. term. All right. He so he's on his third drink. It's officially binging. He's about to pour his third. So here's what I think, or or more of a question than a thought. No, I was mid-thought. Hold on, guys. Let me recover for a second. Yeah. I was mid-thought. What we all need in our life is a mid-thought. Here is my... <laughs> <laughs> nice. Mid-thoughts on the Docs and Crocs podcast. Here's the... Um, I think, let's say 50 years ago, I feel like people were more generally useful. Like, to be a... Like, a what, what you would call a functioning member of society. Right. Let's, As let's, opposed to, like, a useless eater? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I feel like people were. I'm sorry. That was a, that was a buzzword. A buzzword. Uh, that's a 
That is a, that's a, no, that is a Third Reich buzzword. I was oh, kind of. Dear God. I was suggesting that there were very uncomfortable implications to the way that you were phrasing your question. Oh dear God! Now we're gonna get flagged left and right. They're gonna be like, "Did you see what he agreed with?" No, well, no, no. You can I always just... bleep out the the word, I, the German word I said after third. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I I did avoid the, I did avoid the word that starts with the fourteenth letter of the alphabet. What is it? I don't remember. TikTok is gonna. Anyways. Anyway, so um. I just like a functioning member of society, like somebody who is like, yeah, you, I, I feel like maybe 50 years ago it was like, and I don't even know if it was 50, let's say 100 years ago, let's go 100, let's go big. Right. I feel like 100 years ago there was like a certain standard to being a functioning member of society. You learned like, like this is how you like take care of a family, you know, take care of a home, this but is also, how you like push forward in society. And I feel like in the same way that social media mm-hmm. is kind of like forcing people to niche down to like you have one thing that you're good at, one thing that you talk about. Right. Like, yeah, I feel like you could go and be an expert in something. But before you were an expert in that thing, there was kind of like the basics. Right. Here are the basics to being like a functioning member of society and you're adding something, you're adding value. Right. And, and so I feel like the it is the problem that less and less people are adding a general amount of value or do we need more people to be quote unquote niched down? I think thoughts, concerns, I questions, think ideas. A lot of that has to come down to like even even mentioning 100 years ago the the values and the foundation and the principles that were instilled in kind of American youth and youth in general was a real big focus on the family unit. Mm-hmm. And the nuclear family, right? You yes. have a dad and mom in the home. Dad's out working, get mm-hmm. the breadwinner. Mom's at home, and and that was just how it was. I remember talking to my mom about a friend at the church, and she was saying when she first started showing up to the church, this is probably two thousand. Her and one other woman were the only people working full time for their families, hmm. and how bringing women into the workforce has kind of changed. You know, John, this reminds me of an, a patient interaction I had a few weeks ago. Here we go. There's this very <laughs> wonderful nonagenarian who comes to my clinic. Here yep. we go. Um, obviously, uh, I don't want to violate HIPAA, but uh, she, she's a very, very wonderful, very sweet woman. She's in her 90s, as I said. And I asked her, you know, the people often think that a lot of things are going wrong in society now. And so I said, you've been around a long time. I want to know where do you think things went wrong? And she said, I think things went wrong when women started working outside the home during World War II. Whoa. That was her opinion. That was her opinion on the collapse of society. Yeah, on where thi- not. I don't know about collapse. The beginning so, of the end. When I think of the word collapse, <laughs> I think of the Bronze Age collapse. Are you familiar with the Bronze Age collapse? Yeah, I really. Think you're taking me too literally. Wait, are are you actually familiar with the Bronze Age? Collapse? No, of course I'm not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, Bronze Age, the Bronze Age collapse is. I a know very what the notable, Bronze Age was, but yeah, a very notable period in history. Uh, I figured the Bronze Age collapse was when the final bronze statue fell over, and they were like, "Ah, we got to build with something else." <laughs> hey, there's some iron over here. <laughs> oh, we Let's should use shoot, shoot for that. And they had scratched it off of the calendar. <laughs> iron Age. <laughs> is that not how it went? Yeah, that's uh, what I learned. In it was a lot messier. It was a lot messier. Um, basically, there was a very uh, integrated system of highly advanced societies in the Eastern Mediterranean: the Egyptians, the Hittites, the Assyrians. You know, so I mean, this is where your ancestors were living. Yeah, these are my buddies. My ancestors my were people. like living in mud huts in the British Isles and in like Scandinavia at the time. Got it. But your ancestors were like, you know, writing on cuneiform tablets and you know, inventing mathematics and astronomy and so forth. Yeah. So wait, oh wait. Do you have? Would your ancestors be related in any way to the Vikings then? If they're Scandinavian? Yeah, yeah. I'm probably about. I'm so based on DNA, I'm between like five and ten percent Norse. Ah, oh, man. All right, go on. 
But anyway, so, all jealous. Uh, what happened was there was a series of earthquakes and droughts, famines and wars that caused the entire integrated trade network that spanned from like Iran to Egypt and to Greece. It caused it all to collapse. And there was a really, really massive population collapse, which means like people like died, like a lot of death. And a lot of the major cities were abandoned. So when I say the word collapse, that's what I think when I think of collapse. So I think what, sh what my patient was talking about was more the, the, the degradation in society. Yeah. Where I don't think that I don't think it could be argued at all that we've experienced a collapse, like a societal collapse. I think we I think it could be argued that we've experienced like a moral decay. Oh, a hundred percent moral yeah. decay. I agree with. And on that note, you're a very devout Catholic, Paul. Yes, I mean I I, I am Catholic, and my religion is very important to me. So, what do you think that you have found in the Catholic Church that we as a society in America are missing, or what do you what do you see as the value of the Catholic Church? How how is the Catholic Church valuable in a time like this? I think that um, there's a lot of talk about how organized religion is bad. So you hear people say things like "I'm spiritual, not religious," and I think this is a uh, I think this attitude actually represents kind of what we were talking about. You know, you said we had the family. And so people don't think of themselves as family. They don't think of themselves as part of a broader story now. They think of themselves in their life, I, me, my. They don't think we, ours. Um, they don't, th so, you know, one of the things I said about, we, we talked earlier about how um, viewing myself as part of a family unit was very, was very important. That's part of my identity. Being subordinate to my older siblings, mm -hmm. being a mentor to my younger siblings. Uh, what being in a large family teaches you is that your life isn't about you. It's about the people in your life. Right. And I think what we're missing in America is sacrificing for other people, um, living for other people, living your life for the good of other people. A lot of people are very focused on living life for their own good and for their own pleasure. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a course that leads only to misery. Um, in, you know, in my, my religion, in, in Catholicism in particular, uh, the theology on suffering is really important. My, fa my absolute favorite chapter in the Bible is John 16, and Jesus gives a discourse on suffering. And he says that, uh, at the very end of the chapter, he says, in the world you will have trouble, but take courage, I have overcome the world. He also says that um, when a woman is in labor, she is sorrowful for her hour has come, but afterwards she forgets her sorrow because a child has been born into the world. And he says, so it is with us. And so, so many people nowadays are very terrified of experiencing any form of suffering, of any form of sacrifice, and they want to live their lives for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that what the Catholic Church has to offer and what Christianity has to offer is that the life that you live for yourself is just not worth living, um, and that people will learn that life is very much worth living if you begin to live it for other people. Mm. Yeah. Mm. There it is. And Also, one of, one of the things I really appreciate about the Catholic Church is the emphasis, and of course things go wrong in the Catholic Church just as they do in every other part of life because people are human. There is no one who lives who is without sin. Right. And so what I really appreci appreciate about the Catholic Church is the emphasis on fathers and priests. Just coming from a house where my dad wasn't the best role model, just having that example of a priest, of a father, kind of reworking that definition and how I experience fathers in the church. I think that's one thing the Catholic Church does really well, is kind of that emphasis on fatherhood. Yeah, and I, I think that's very, very important. Um, because you can't learn how to be a man from a woman, and a woman can't learn how to be a woman from a man. Right. And so, if you, so older men uh, need to be an example for younger men as to how they should be and how they should act. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and unfortunately, yeah, there are, there are a lot of 
there are a lot of fathers who end up being poor fathers. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, it, humans, we are very broken. We're very broken. We do a lot of selfish things. We do a lot of bad things. And if we want to be uh, forgiven for the, the selfish and bad things that we do, we need to forgive other people for the selfish and bad things they do to us. And I do think that it's very good that um, if the relationships in our life, which were supposed to be important, were damaged, that we can still have some form of what we can get from those relationships from other people. And that's something that, like, you know, a spiritual father, like a priest, can, can provide, is that, you know, in any ways that our own fathers are inadequate, we can, we can gain adequacy in other ways. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, as we were talking about kind of the family unit, what are some aspects of family that you experience in the Catholic Church? You know, so I, I go to a very small parish. It's a Byzantine Catholic parish. And there are, we probably get 100 to 150 people on a Sunday. And many of these people are some of my, my very best friends, including your brother, uh, ben, or your brother Ben and your brother Daniel. Mm -hmm. And the fact that there are people that I have an obligation to see every week, I go and I see them, we hang out together, we go to each other's houses, we do things for them. You know, I often say this thing, someone is not your friend unless you can ask them to help you move. That's, mm. that's facts. And mm. I, I told this to uh, my friends, Ben, your brother, and Brian yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait a second, I've helped both you guys move. <laughs> that means we're friends. <laughs> yeah, and your brother Daniel has helped me move. Right. So um, that's uh, so within a church community, you get access to that. You get access to those things. And I don't understand how people live their lives outside of a church community because life itself on your own is so very difficult, so very difficult. Right. And there are many people, they have, you know, they have their parents and they have one sibling, maybe none, two mm -hmm. siblings maybe, maybe a couple cousins. And I don't understand how people live their lives like so disconnected from community because like actually having like a parish family of people that you can like take your concerns, your worries to or ask them for help, like help moving or something. Mm -hmm. Or if you have little kids, you know, asking like, you know, do you guys have spare diapers? Because, you know, being a parent is, is expensive and difficult. Things like that. How do people survive without that? And I think that a, a really tight knit parish community really provides that for people. And I think that I wish that everyone could experience that, you know, even even secular people. Like if, if you're a secular person listening to this. And like, and you want like, why should I become religious? I'm like, well, there's a lot of material benefits to it, and like, <laughs> you be, you end up like you free have all food. you have all these friends. You get free food all the time. People help you out with stuff, and like, you're just you're missing out by not being there. You're missing out by not being there. So I have a comment on that because you're saying I don't know how people could live outside of of you know even a religious community. So I was in ministry for ten years. And um, I, I don't have disagreements with you. I have, though, thoughts on... I'm going to play devil's advocate for a oh, second. No, no, no. So this is not me saying, like, well, here's my argument. This is just devil's what I... Devil's advocate is actually a Catholic thing. This is what... <laughs> Do you know where the term comes from? No, I just figured, like, I'm going to side with the guy who's going to disagree. So with um, it actually refers to the canonization process. So um, huh? the Catholic Church, when you canonize a saint, <laughs> so what you do is you, you get the saint and then you put the, you put, you get gunpowder, you put the gunpowder in a cannon, then you get a wad, you put the wad in the cannon, then you put the saint in the cannon. This is total BS. Yes, this, this, this is BS. absolute BS. There's absolutely no way that we're firing saints at a cannon. No, no, listen. <laughs> but it, the okay, canonization, yeah, did you? Okay, no, 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 no. But okay, well, let me explain the canonization. So in the canonization process, you have someone that advocates as to why this person should be a recognized saint. Yes. And then yeah, what you yeah, do yeah. is you have someone else who's investigated the saint's life and history, and yeah. they argue why this person shouldn't be a saint, why they're in hell. And that is the devil's advocate. So that I didn't know. 
Yeah. That part I did not know. And so the I did not know that like, okay, you're the guy that's going to tell us why he's burning. Yeah, so the the idea is that... The Imagine devil- having that job. <laughs> yeah. Like, how do you fill up the application for that? So What's the application process? It's a Latin word for lawyer, so it means like the devil's attorney. Dang. Just imagine like you're on Tinder. <laughs> oh, and there's a devil's advocate. Like your profile. You're on Tinder. All the reasons you should date me. And then, uh, okay, let's see the devil's advocate profile. Okay, here's ugly photos of him. Here's a review from his ex-girlfriend. First date. Oh, you meet her my. at... Uh, First date, you Waffle meet her house. at you meet her at the Waffle House. <laughs> no, that's the biggest red flag ever. It can't start out that easy. Yeah, yeah. You meet a, her at uh, you meet her at BJ's. You meet her at BJ's. Oh, you're yeah, sharing. You you're splitting that's a pazuki. <laughs> you're splitting a pazuki. Have you ever had a yeah, pazuki? You're splitting something. You're splitting a pazuki sure. with some uh, vanilla ice cream on top. Yep. And uh, and she goes, so so, what do you do? And you're like, uh, I'm Satan's lawyer. <laughs> She's like, Oh, I'm sorry, I. I need to use the bathroom. I gotta go. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. No, no. The way the way that goes. Is, oh, you're an attorney. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, wow. How much does Satan pay? So, but but here's why the I think answer is not enough to be worth it. Here's why I think that a lot of people do live outside of that because what you were talking about sounds really, really good, and I think is what all of us like. Especially like, so I was in a lot of dis- different aspects. I was in youth ministry, college ministry. Like, I spoke to people way younger than me, way older than me. Um, I was a worship leader. Like, I, I functioned in so many different aspects over, over 10 or 11 years and in a lot of different communities. And I think that this might even be some people's problem with the Protestant church, which I don't think we have any time to go into. But, like, let me just say, though, the when you think about, like, a community that's just going to be with you and support you and this is your community of people that you can go to and talk to about anything. And if I need help with something, like they're there for me. Like that sounds great. And I think that that's what a I think that's what a Jesus community is supposed to be. And it's what your actual family is supposed to be. Well, a hundred percent. But but actual families are not always perfect. Right. And what I think a lot of people have experienced in, I'll, I can only speak for the Protestant Christian community in the West. Is people who, for the first few minutes, are going to be those people. We got your back. Like we're there for you. But really, it's so many people. I'm this again. This is just me saying. This is why I think. I think it's a lot of young people who are experiencing other young people who are trying to climb a ladder, and then they're also experiencing old people who are trying to. Um, they're trying to solidify what the foundation that they've been standing on their entire lives. And so they experience so much like, like it's like lashing every day. It's like, I, I, these are not people that I can actually be honest with because as soon as I'm honest with them, I'm actually just going to get the crap beaten out of me, you know, uh, mm-hmm. in so many words. Or, and you know, these we, are people that's why who we have the seal of the confessional in Catholicism. These are the people who are going to climb over my head to get somewhere. These are the people that are actually going to you know, talk badly about me, but you know, as soon as I'm out of the room and, and yeah, and that's what I think a lot of young people's experience because I've watched and, it happen. And, uh, you experience this in the world as well. A hundred percent. So this is, this is, this is, I think that I think is representative of the human condition. Yeah. It's not the way it's supposed to be in families, but that happens. And I'm just saying, families. I think that's what's driving people away from young people, at least away from like, yeah, how are you living outside of a religious community? I heard a pastor once talk about this gang member, that he had brought to youth group. He, he, mm-hmm. This young guy, and he was in this gang, and he wanted to be baptized. And so this young kid comes, 
and and you know and and gets baptized and starts getting plugged into this church and you know he's trying his best to like pour into him and you know this is a kid who like you know i mean he would call him if he had trouble like he would go get him and 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 yada yada so he was coming into the church community he's coming to this uh youth group and um and then one day he just stops coming he just stops coming and i'm, uh, um, I'm scared to find out where this is going and he he didn't die. Okay, that's he, that's very good. He stops to hear. coming, and so he, he starts looking for him, and 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 finally, you know, he's like not not answering his calls, not answering his texts, and he, he literally goes and finds him. He you know he's he's going to like places where he would usually hang out, and he finally finds him. He goes, hey man, like we you you were getting plugged in, like you were you were like really coming in and like starting to get in plugged into this community and you're, you know, just receiving like what happened, like what how come we just stop seeing you all of a sudden? And he finds out that he's back with the gang. And he says, so why, why are you back with this gang? And he said, because when I, when I walked into the church, everybody was talking to me about family. Everybody's talking to me about being part of a family. And he's and like, his but, family is his gang. He's like, but this is where I actually experience family. He's like, everything that you're talking about, I actually experience with this gang, and I never experienced it there. And so in, in so many words, I think that's the, and we've talked about this before, right. is there's a difference between telling someone, yeah, you 100%. are here, you are family, and I think when you don't have to say that, when it's just when I when the other person is saying, "Man, when I'm here, I feel like family." There's yeah. the difference between when I'm here, I feel like family, and somebody telling you, "Hey, man, when you're here, you're family." Because I oftentimes totally the people who are saying when you're here, you're family, don't mean it. I mean, I think I think very often they want to mean it. They but, want to, but wanting to mean it is the, is the di- good. One hundred, but yeah, but but there's a difference between wanting to mean something and actually meaning it. One hundred percent. And I have to say, in my parish. Like, I don't often hear, like, I think sometimes, like, in a homily, the priest will drop the word parish family, but we don't, I don't, I don't feel like I, I often hear people say that. It's just like, I just, like, text my friend Brooke, and I'm like, hey, can I come over and hang out? And we, like, hang out, and we smoke a pipe, and, you know, we chill, or, like, we swim in his pool, or, you know, he invites, like, uh, one of the other friends, like, because he has kids that are the same age as other kids in the parish, like, he invites them over, their, their kids all hang out with each other. Like, life just happens. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. we don't go around thinking, we're a parish family. How do we, like, go about making this more of a parish family, inviting other people in? And, and that's I, huge. I think this is one way that the Catholic Church is different from evangelical churches, is the word proselytism. So proselytism means trying to convert people to your religion. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think that proselytism has its place. I think my religion is true, and I would love for other people to convert to my religion, because I think that, that it's important. I think that it's important that they believe the truth, and I think that they would receive enormous personal benefits in their own life from converting to my religion. But um, So one thing that you described is people, when they first come to a church, there's a thing called love bombing. Do you know what mm-hmm. love bombing is? I, I can. You're like, do I, I know take, what love bombing is? I can is? take the context. <laughs> and like, you're like, I've experienced <laughs> it and I've done it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're like in meetings where they're like, your job today is, and I can imagine just that the love up is, on them. Just love them. Invite you know, them all. The last person camp, I heard was. Make sure, yeah. You know, the last person I heard talk about loving up on someone was? Who? Loving up on somebody? Yeah, the last time I heard. Who the are you phrase, loving up on? Yeah, he said like we're just gonna go out and love up on. people. We're just people. gonna go love on. It people. Might have been at UNM that you were gonna go go out and love up on people at UNM. Oh, that was probably I'm sorry, with I'm me. I'm not trying to accuse. Oh you my of god, love that bombing. was with me. <laughs> 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 That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Like we're, we're so I'm coming from the position of I'm not like one of those people. There's a lot of people out there who were like evangelical or part of the Protestant whatever, and then now they're like, yeah, I'm ex-evangelical. Eh, eh, eh. I'm not. Oh, in they that found that they wanted all. to have sex. I'm not. <laughs> They smoke. Like, yeah, the first it's like, time. hey, I, I went off to college, and then 
I, so met, I met like I met this girl and we have sex now and it's like oh I'm not Christian and a anymore. lot of them are on podcasts a lot of them now I'm gonna go on this podcast I'm gonna be like super reformed and talk about how BS it is I'm not on that I'm not in that camp at all I haven't rejected my faith nothing like that I still believe that Jesus is exactly who he says he is but I'm I'm coming from the position of 10 or 11 years well no 12 years in the church 10 years in ministry and in a bunch of different communities and just witnessing like the the ick and being like man for 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 a young person, so this is I, I said this before, and I I would say it again. I if I had a young person, and and you might disagree with this, and I'm mm-hmm. it's just where I'm at right now. If I had a young person come to me right now and say, "Hey, I'm developing this new relationship with Jesus. What should I do?" Maybe like three years ago, what I would have said because I was so in that mindset is like, you need to get plugged in with your local church. You need to get plugged in with your local people who are going to love up on you. We're going to love on you. You need to like find a place to serve. Now I would say nothing close to that. If I had a young, what would you say? If I had a young person come to me and say, Hey, I'm just now developing this relationship with Jesus. Like, what should I do? I would say, get some friends around you who are also just developing a relationship with Jesus. Spend time in nature, lock yourself in your room and pray, like spend time just praying and thinking and asking questions like spend time in nature pick up a hobby like get your mind right get your schedule right like do some healthy things for your mind like i would i would i think that this kind of relates to what you said at the beginning of the podcast what's so that? I, what, what i, I said say? you said we were talking about uh <laughs> so i thought this was a wholesome like i thought this was a wholesome and a christian podcast it's like uh, I was thinking in the way that PewDiePie says. You know, PewDiePie. PewDiePie. He's like uh, he says a bad word. And he's like, no, Christian channel, like Christian show. It's a Christian channel. PewDiePie says that. So I was. I, I didn't was, know that. Yeah, I was thinking more more along those lines. So I wasn't thinking again like Christian movie versus like you know a Christian filmmaker versus oh, right. a filmmaker. Oh, I did want to comment on that. Like I'm so, an actor and I'm a Christian, but I'm not a Christian actor. Exactly. I'm not so trying I think to be in like allegorical is, films. Every what day. I think that you're trying to say is you would encourage a young person to be a person who is a Christian. Rather than just a Christian person. Right. It's like, like, I think that the best thing that you could do for yourself if you feel like you're newly developing a relationship with Jesus is like, number one, is to pursue having as healthy of a mind as possible. Because if the first thing that you do is go get, quote unquote, plugged in with your local church, you're going to learn how to like climb a ladder really fast and do things that other people in that community so approve of. by ladder, but, you mean status hierarchy. Right, but not necessarily learn how to manage your mind well. And so that's something that, like, I went 10 years of thinking that I had my mind right and my soul right. Because you were climbing the Christian status But it hierarchy. wasn't until I stepped away from ministry and said, I'm going to spend some time just learning how to be a husband and a father. And I actually, like, spent time figuring out how to get my mind right how to get my heart right, have 100% control over my mind and emotions, like take responsibility for all of my actions and my words, manage my relationships really, really well. And like, I was like a Christian mystic. Like I was like, you know, like, (laughs) I was handing out beads. Like I was like a, like go out like, you know, desert father guy. I was a big Mm -hmm. desert father. I'm really into like, for me, like, get mystical. Like, don't. I mean, get... your father's from the desert. Exactly. <laughs> my dad's came. My grandfather came from a cave. So, but but now I'm like, I I think that there's a place for that, but I also think that there's a time to be super duper practical. And I think that sometimes oh, the practical needs to come first, because if you don't get your mind right first, then anything mystical that you experience doesn't have a really healthy place to go. You know, I have this philosophy. I'm like, why can't you just be normal? 
<laughs> and I think that's something that a lot of people miss. And see, that yeah. would be like my least favorite phrase two years ago. Like, no, and, get and away that, from me with the normal. And my, my dad, like what he said that he wanted was, I like, I want a job and a wife and a house. Yeah. And that's like what he wanted out of life. And I think one of the things that, you know, because you were talking about this earlier, John, like people wanted to be normal. My dad said that before the 1960s, that's what people talked about. Like it was just assumed, like you, you have a normal life. You get a job, you marry a girl, you work hard, you pay for, you have kids, you, you, you take care Ooh. of them, you go to church on Sunday. And in the 60s, a lot of people started questioning that and saying, I'm dissatisfied with this life. I want more than this. There has to be more than something like this. And so it sounds to me like, how old is your, uh, you have a, a, a son, daughter? I have a what? You have a, you have a child. Oh, it's not like you said a sub-daughter? I was like, no, what is that? No, son, a son slash I have daughter. a daughter, yeah. You have a daughter. Her name yeah. is? Man. Lily. Lily, okay. So how old is Lily? She is 14 months now. 14 months. So it sounds to me like you're saying that your priorities really started changing once you had a family. Mm, sort of. It, yeah, sort of. The correlation so is it, very it's strong. The, the, this all started beforehand. So my wife and I got married straight into ministry. I had just become the associate pastor of a church. My wife and I got married. We got married right into the ministry. We're literally on our honeymoon, like having mm -hmm. to reject calls, like do not call us with problems. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so for the entire time that we were married, we we're in ministry in different places. I mean, we, towards the end of our time in ministry, we're traveling, we're like going to different States, leading worship at conferences, talking to kids, like all this stuff. And, um, and then I, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but I just had this, I got sick. I had this experience. I had like a change in my mind, like a physical altering in my mind. I had like a time that I went through. Um, I used to have like manic depression and anxiety. I went through like a literal chemical change in my brain. That gave me like a like kind of like a reset, and then so I and I like quit ministry. I like quit everything, like completely quit everything. And then my daughter was born, and I had another huge reset. And I I had already quit the ministry. I had already been like, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm just going to focus on like my mm -hmm. family. And then I had this reset that was like, now I'm going to focus on being an extremely like healthy and responsible person that's completely in and, control. And, and that's what people need. And that's why I think the the gang member went back to what was his real family is like your real family is your real family mm -hmm. and the church community can be a really wonderful asset and very often they can be your actual family members you know out of my parish there have been lots of people who have you know gotten married because they were you know members of the same parish mm -hmm. and in which case you have the joining of literal families and so you have in-laws and so forth that are your literal family and that relationship matters just as much um, but I do think that it is really really important that people focus on the relationships that are actually important to you in your life mm -hmm. you know for me it's my siblings it's my my widowed sister and her son it's my parents. Like these are the most important people to me in my life that God has given me. Um, in the book of Timothy, I think Saint Paul says that someone who doesn't take care of his own family is worse than an worse than an unbeliever. Worse than an unbeliever. That's really powerful. Yep. And so, like, just living a life of normalcy. There's a lot of people, especially like it's very easy to get caught up in like a, a young adult ministry and like center your whole life around it. And um, and and believe it or not, Christians are not the only people to do this. Oh no! Oh no! I know. Like, like you look at look at a college campus and look at like advocacy groups. These people have an ersatz religion. They're seeking purpose. They're seeking purpose that unifies them, that they can come together with other like-minded young people and go out and affect meaningful change in the world. And they love bomb people and they give each other affirmation. Um, like th th they are ersatz religious communities. 
And uh, it's not just Christians that experience this. But I think that as Christians, we sometimes expect Christians to be better and hold them to a higher standard. And I think that's the thing. I think that's why there's there's like a, a sudden turnaround or a sudden rejection is because I believe in the world you have the same patterns. But when there's an expectation that, well, there's a higher standard here, there's a different way of thinking, there's a different um, expectation of experience, and then you experience the same things, it's like, well, then this is no different than what I've experienced before. And so I think that... One of the issues, especially in the Protestant um, community, is this idea that, well, like you said, like, we, you know, we're not about religion. You know, I would say that all the time. You know, we, mm -hmm. we, we hate religion, but we love Jesus. That was like, a, that's like a huge thing. But I think organized, like, having a standard, having an organized standard, having like a, no, this is actually who we're going to be and what we're going to do is important. And I think the more that, and you had said this at one point, the more that you move towards like, well, I'm just... I'm just spiritual, you know, I just have an ex spiritual experience. It kind of throws a lot of those like standards out the window. And you do start to have more like, well, we just do whatever and kind of treat people however, and like my experience is my experience and yours is yours, and a lot of that structure goes out the window, and so the way that we treat people kind of goes out the window. You know, I do have a comment, I see that we're almost out of time. We're almost out of time. How much time do we have left? We, uh, have, uh, we have like three minutes, four minutes. Four so minutes. I do want to say, I do think that to some degree the, uh, the increasing religiosity, the you know, when, when sociologists try to measure these things, they use things like uh, attendance of religious services um, because it's very hard to have metrics like, oh, does this person really have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, they can say they do, but, you know, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, mm -hmm. it, like actually knows me. The kingdom of heaven, yeah. So uh, sociologists, they have a very difficult time measuring these things because these are about the inner states of the soul. Um, but we are seeing an increase in the number of people who identify as non-religious, mm -hmm. and we're seeing a decrease in attendance of religious services. So I do think that this trend, I don't think that this trend is due to sins within the Christian church. I think that this trend is more of a result of the Industrial Revolution. I think that the Industrial Revolution, the Technological Revolution, the Agricultural Revolution, all these things have come together to create a world with a lot of material plenty, in which there's a lot less struggle and suffering, and as a result, people have less mortality salience. They think about death a lot less. They think about the struggles in life, the, the actual material struggles in life like sickness, illness, starvation, war, these things are much less, and um, these things are all... So mortality salience, um, as a result of the Industrial Revolution, people are not facing these same struggles. So you don't need to very strongly hold to a, uh, um, a very rigid pattern of behavior. Um, you get to, you get to uh, play with the edges of that. You get to stray outside the box. You get to uh, be a little less, a little less careful. You get to be careless, um, and still, and still, things still turn out okay. Whereas before, like uh, two hundred years ago, if you were a young woman who violated the religious mores on uh, chastity, mm -hmm. you end up an unwed mother. There's no DNA test to identify him. Um, you know, you lose your reputation. No one wants to marry you um, unless your parents are willing to support you. You're in a very, very dangerous situation. You know. And, uh, you know, STDs before the prevention, before things like antibiotics, you know, gonorrhea, et cetera, those things cause infertility. And people could very, there were a lot of people who were infertile due to STDs before the advent of antibiotics. Uh, starvation, you know, like famines are a regular occurrence in human history, very regular. The Industrial Revolution has enabled us to avoid the, these challenges. So I think that what's happened is that we've made life so easy to a point where people don't feel that they need traditional religion. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, we can talk every day about all the little problems that happen in the, within the church, but I think it's very difficult for us to get around the fact that the Industrial Revolution has made life very easy, and when life is very easy, human beings don't like to think about religion.
and Zhang. No, keep that, going. That is a <laughs> mic drop right there. No, and I do. So I just and I this is I, I mean on this specific topic, I've never really made this connection before. So I'm kind of like rolling off of this as I think about it. But as a as a as a Protestant evangelical believer, I spent so much time, and then as a minister, I spent so much time talking about, and, and I, well, I should add this too, I was also very unpopular. I was unpopular in my own community, very much so, because I would, I would, because I would talk about things like mysticism. A prophet has no honor in his own country. And and see, um, shoot! If I quoted that, I would get kicked out faster than, <laughs> than a whore in church. But <laughs> isn't it supposed to be the opposite? It's supposed to be the opposite, exactly. Right. Exactly. No, <laughs> that's the big point. But no, I would talk about Christian mysticism, and that would piss a lot of people off. But we would talk. I but but the 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 baseline was like, yeah, we hate religion. We love Jesus. It's not about being religious. It's about being a follower of Jesus. Like, but. I, as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, there's, especially now, the, I, I've lived now, like I said, I was, I was diagnosed manic, depressive, and anxious for mm-hmm. years and years of my life. And then in the church, I thought that I had overcome those things because I had this relationship with Jesus. I was like, oh, I was healed of that. I moved on. But really what I had done is translated that into my faith. And so I had a very manic faith. And so it wasn't until that I, it wasn't until that I, until I separated myself from that position and said, okay, I'm going to focus on who I am as an individual, that I was actually able to start building things into my own life to overcome that depression and anxiety without medication. Say, I'm going to have 100% control over my mind and emotions and be able to function um, really healthily on like a baseline without riding these highs and these lows all of the time. And so when I translate that back over to religion and I think about the difference between what modern-day Western Christians would say is the difference between religion and spirituality. Mm-hmm. What it sounds like really at, under the surface is the difference between structure and I can do whatever the hell I want. Where I'm just going to explore... Which is, I think we were talking about with the family. There's family structure where you have real obligations to the people in your life. Right. And whether or not you feel like it, you have to go do something hard and help take care of them and take care of their needs. Or is it all about me? Right. And so I think that there is a place for... Um, I'm, I think there's a place for mystical. I think that there's a place for extremely practical. I think there's a place for organized religion. I think there's a place for mysticism. I think that there's a place for I'm like, okay, here's been one of my biggest arguments. Like this has been one of my, my wife and I talk about this all the time in the, in the Protestant Western church. There's so much about like giving up control. Like I'm, you know, God, you're in control. I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to give up all control. But the fruit of the spirit is self-control, and there's so. Do you know what much. the father of almost all Christian discipline is? Who's that? Fasting. Okay. Yeah. Fasting. Right. So there's because there's fasting so teaches much. you control exactly. over your very basic bodily there's urges. So much of I, you know, even like receiving the mind of Christ. People talk about receiving the mind of Christ. What does that mean? That means that you can actually think with like a God mind. That means that you can make really wise, really holy decisions, not have to live your life begging for the answers to every Mm. problem, but that you could actually have the ability to think, 
the ability to make decisions, the ability to control your thoughts, the ability to control your actions, the ability to take responsibility for your relationships, but that's not taught. And I don't think that it's maliciously not taught. I think that it's accidentally not taught as we're teaching people to quote unquote surrender. And I and think I, that there's I think a place kind for of surrender a, uh... and there's a place for being 100% in control and that self-control being holy. I totally agree. It's about um, the golden mean, you know, the golden mid. Uh, trying to uh, have a balance. Golden <laughs> 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 mid. I think it's there again. Ba- you know, like like uh, Thanos says, uh, balance. Oh man. <laughs> oh jeez. We just compared. Uh, <laughs> we just compared religion. Are you familiar to with the, with the Thanos? Sub- are you familiar with the, the subreddit Thanos did nothing wrong? No, I'm not a big redditor. I tried to get in on Reddit, and I was like, this is hard. Well, they had a subreddit, and so everyone who joined the subreddit. At one point, they had an event, and they banned half the people who were subscribed to the subreddit. Wow. Wow. At least they're consistent. Yes. Just for yeah. balance's sake? Yeah, exactly, for balance's wow. sake. But so I think that what you're saying is that um, there, there needs to be a balance between the idea of surrendering to God and the idea that you can have control over your own life. There are things that you can control, and you need to be able to control those things. And there are also things you can't control, and you need to be able to surrender those things to God. And I think in the effort to convince people to surrender the the attempt to control things they can't control maybe sometimes people have gone overboard and people have forgotten that they do need to have control over the things they can't control exactly was there a thought you had john yeah and i think it goes back to the serenity prayer god give me i was just thinking of that yeah and and give help me understand the things i can control help me understand the things i can't control and the wisdom to know the difference exactly and so there's a contrast there as well and I think what Ryan's talking about, again, with balance, is just like what Jesus is saying. Like, he did very practical things, you know, five loaves and two fish. He feeds 5,000. He feeds all of these crowds of people, but he does it in a mystical way. And so I think Jesus brings a mystical approach to the practical, but he also does the practical really, really extremely well. I mean, he was a carpenter. Right. We need to do practical things mystically, and we need to do mystic, mystical things practically. Yes. So I want to end this on somewhat of a lighthearted note. Of course. We, we are, this is a longer podcast than usual, but I do, I want to end things on a semi-lighthearted note, but on a note that's still in line with what we're talking about. Of course. This is one of the topics that I wanted to talk about on the podcast today, and it just worked out perfectly. So this is a sermon. Uh, somebody said this is Mike Todd's pastor. I don't actually know who Mike Todd is. And I don't know the name of this pastor in particular. So I'm not going to name drop. I'm just going to say this is a pastor of a certain person. And here's the video. And I, I want genuine reactions to this uh, very cringy sermon point. Amen. <laughs> we only reverence one stripper. And that's the one that took off glory to put on humanity. Wow, that is a very interesting perspective on the incarnation. The only stripper we recognize, this man said. This is the one who stripped is off Jesus. glory. The one who stripped off glory to put on the humility of humanity. How do you not run that by your wife before <laughs> you get on stage? How did that man not sit with his crew and go, hey, y'all, listen. I think I'm going to get up this Sunday. I think you have a different background than him. First of all, there's no way that was a Sunday, actually. 
There's no way that was a Sunday morning. That was definitely a Thursday night. Yes, with Holy the Spirit 18 night. to 30 year old. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was a Holy Spirit night. That was, uh, and there was no Holy Spirit <laughs> in it. <laughs> that was. There's Holy Spirit night, and then there's holy shit. I made a mistake. <laughs> like I. J- <laughs> the only stripper we recognize is the one who stripped off glory. Well, Christ Jesus, though being in the form of God, did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at. See, and he could have said that. He could have said that. Rather, he, rather he stripped himself. <laughs> <laughs> we don't make it rain on booty cheeks, he said. This man said booty cheeks in front of 18 to 30-year-olds on a Thursday I night. once heard a Dominican Catholic priest say the word badonkadonk <laughs> to a group of Catholic college students in a sermon during okay. the holy sacrifice of the mass. So here's a bad one. I had a friend named... I'm not going to name him. No, 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 no. Okay. I had a friend who got into a youth pastor position that should not have gotten into a youth pastor position. He was one of the guys that was in that film that I was telling you about where we showed our butt cheeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking yeah, yeah. of booty cheeks. Reference uh, episode three. So this guy got into a youth pastor position, put on a small youth conference, and invited me to come speak at it. And I'm super honored by that. The problem is when me and this guy and our group of guy friends would hang out, he, was, he had less brain cells than the rest of us. And so he would just copy what we did and said. And I would often say the words douche canoe. <laughs> oh no! I, I would say, "Yo, oh, man, no. you're being a real douche canoe right now." <laughs> is that like a is that like a Russian word? I don't know. Douche canoe. Let's say it's that. There's, let's say it's that to make it uh, less flagged. So maybe that's what he thought. Oh, you know, there's this maybe great Russian sli- this great Russian word, douche canoe. Douche canoe. My, my friend uses. So I'd be like, man, you know, if somebody said something stupid or they're being a jerk, man, you're being a real douche canoe right now. So we get to this night where we are putting on this youth conference. <laughs> And he speaks before me. And he's getting to the end of his message. And I'm getting ready to go up. And he said something about, like, you know, this is what Scripture says you're supposed to do. Blah, 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 blah. Don't be a douche canoe. I thought he was going to say, I'm excited to introduce you, my friend Ryan. We go back a long ways. And let me tell you, this guy, he's a real douche canoe. A real douche canoe. A real studious man of of the good word. No. He said, so yeah, don't be a douche canoe. Like, you know, pray <laughs> pray for the poor. It was like wait, something. Wait, wait. And I was like, oh. Wait, wait, wait. And it's like it's like a minute before I'm going up. And so I have to like, re- I'm on the side like, no, no, no. Trying to recompose myself. Oh, so some people just need, um, I used to want, as a young guy, I would wonder why some of these guys have like sermon writing teams. I was like, you have a sermon writing team? Like, don't you just like wait for the inspiration of God? And this is why sometimes you don't just sometimes wait on the inspiration. Sometimes it's not the inspiration of God. <laughs> sometimes it's the inspiration of the bad Pizza Hut that you had the night before. Mm. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to sign off on this episode. Thank you very much for having me on, Docs Ryan. And Crocs. I would like to remind you that no information in this podcast should be construed as medical advice. <laughs> and no patient-physician relationship is formed by it. Any medical concerns that you have should be addressed with your physician. If you're currently experiencing a medical emergency, please call 911 or the emergency services for your area. Thanks for joining us, guys. See you next week. We will see you next week.